Thanks, Eric. You know, I was, um, as Lisa and I were on our way to church this morning, I was thinking families with little children would probably be the least, I think we got a lot fewer kids here today because it's hard to get your kids ready for church on Sunday morning. Hats off to all you parents who did that. Way to go. I, I think about a time years ago when, oh, thank you, Eric, that um, <clears throat> was the women's retreat at the church we were on, and, and um, my kids were little. And as a pastor at the church, I needed to figure out how to do everything and be there without my wife, I'll tell you. <laughs> makes you grateful. And I remember taking Rachel, and I'm thinking, you know, Rachel at this point was about this, this big, and she's always this big. I don't care how old she is, she'll always be this little girl that's tall to me. And those cute little ponytails, you know what I'm talking about? Dad loves those little ponytails. And so I did my best. And I remember walking with my kids, you know, I think Joseph was still in my arms, Rachel's in my hands, and Ben was big enough to walk by himself, and we're coming in this, and I don't remember, it was one of the women greeters in the church, <laughs> looks up at me, looks down at Rachel, looks up at me and smiles at Rachel, and then she says, Lisa's at the retreat, come here, honey, I'll fix your hair. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, anyway. So way to go for springing ahead, and hats off to you parents that managed anyway, in spite of your kids being maybe a little more tired and cranky than, um, than they ought to be. It's early in the morning to them, right? But you know what? Today, another thing about the, the clock change is that, you know, I was talking to a couple of the guys. That means this, that when you get home from work, it means you've got to do yard work because it's still light. So I don't, I'm not sure if it's the best thing or not. That's a good thing, yes, says the wife with a green thumbs, green thumbs. Um, I'm grateful for worship today. You know, I, I, my, my message, you know, we're going to be talking about, God, what should I do? And knowing the will of God for your life. And um, uh, we're going to be talking about leaning into your giftings. And I didn't know what the song mix was going to be today or yesterday when I talked with, with Eric last night. And I said, you know, I really feel like we need to pray as a church. Stick me somewhere in the schedule to come in. And we were going to, as a church, pray over, over the issues in Japan. To come out of that and the song lyrics say, in all of the chaos, you are God. What a great foundation to stand on. And, um, and uh, so I just appreciate your sensitivity. Somehow the Lord knew what we were to do and your sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Well done. Even if you did make this family come and sit in the front row. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> They're regulars. I think you got away with it that time. So, um, Okay. There are a few kids here, and I'll bet you one of them knows their memory verse. Whoops. I know. I'm going to see if I'm going to... Any, no hands, just one hand in the back. <gasps> a new one next time, honey. Okay, come on up. Come on. Is this my microphone? Okay. If you're visiting, we, uh, we, we train our kids to know the Word of God and to teach them memory verses. Can I hold you and put you up here so everybody can see you, sweetie? Okay. Yeah, she's not too sure. Okay. So we, we have memory verses. Okay, so tell us your name. Allie. Okay, let's hear your memory verse, honey. God keeps our promises. God keeps his promises. He does. Way to go. Very well done. Okay. Because you did that, Lord wants you to have an ice cream cone. I just know it. Okay, kids. All the kids can go to class. We love our kids. Kids, you can go. <laughs> There's that noise we love. Bye-bye. See you next time. (laughs) 
Oh, they're not making enough noise. They're supposed to make those kids' noises as they go. See you guys. See you later, honey. You look so pretty today. Did she get a haircut? Is her hair shorter? Your daughter. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right, guys, it's not creepy if you notice somebody got a haircut and it looks cute, right? Okay, so lighten up, okay? <laughs> Today's the 13th, and you know I like to just toss in a, a proverb before we even get into our message. Today's the 13th, so out of Proverbs 13. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. <laughs> You know, I've got this parallel Bible program, and so I can look at lots of different versions, and sometimes they're a little more fun than others, so it's true. I just let that get in there and do its thing. So today we're in part three of our series, um, God, What Should I Do About Finding the Lord's Will for Your Life? And um, I, I, I hope that, uh, I think we're about halfway through this series, just based on where I've, my preparation for the next couple of weeks. I hope you're not tired of the topic too, far, too, too much because we are, we're going to plow on this for a couple more weeks, but we're getting more practical every week. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we talked about some basic foundational things that God needs to not be a component of your life. He is your life. And uh, when you get that right, when you get that understanding right, then you know that you're, the, the focus of your life is, life is not your future, the focus of your life becomes a person, and that's Jesus Christ. When you, when you have your focus upon him, he will lead you to the future that he has plans for you. We talked about the fact that if you look through all through the word of God and you get all these scriptures that talk about God's will, and there are lots, you can arbitrarily divide those scriptures into three basic categories. And the three categories is that God's will can be divided into are his sovereign will, the things that he's just going to do because he's God. God chose a nation to, uh, to demonstrate his love and his ways to the world. He chose to have a Messiah come through that nation. These are decisions you and I have nothing to say, say about. We can't change his mind. We don't get to, to say we agree or not. It's just what he's going to do because he's God. It's kind of like the guy who always owns the TV controller, and he's watching no matter what he wants. I mean, it's a, not that God is selfish and so forth. That's a bad analogy. I can't believe it. Okay, sovereign will of God. That's one. The second one is the, lo- the moral will of God. You find that by just simply looking through the word of God. And the word is full of things that say, you know, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. And uh, the things that we're supposed to do, that's the moral will of God. And then the part that we want to get to is the personal will of God. God, what do you want Terry to do and to be? What is your plan for Terry or fill in your own name? What is your plan? That's the one we want to know most about. And um, we found out also that the Lord's personal will is always found and tucked within the first two items, always found within his sovereign will and his moral will. His will for you will never be outside of those two categories, ever. It's absolutely rock solid. You can depend, depend on that. And so today, I want to start moving a little bit further downstream and start looking for how do we go about finding his personal will for us? We've already assumed these things, okay? So I'm not going to reteach those things. We've already assumed that. But how do we find out now about his personal will for you and for me? Um, I, my analytic mind wants to always think for what kind of obstacles we're going to face. And there's one obstacle that I think is common for everybody. And so I'm going to take on an obstacle before I get to the practical of, of this. And, and because I think that obstacle might actually be an opportunity. Have you, um, I mean, I don't look like it, but have you ever run a 10K race or a longer? You know, um, I have run a few. It's been a few years ago, quite a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, <laughs> and, and so I heard that. Anyway, so um, do you know I can hear you in this room? You know, when you... So um, there was one race, and um, I have some temperament issues about me that um, can be a little bit competitive. I mean, my family... They want to play games at home. They want to play card games, that kind of stuff, but they don't want to play with me because, you know, I just have a hard time not just winning but pulverizing them on my way. It's not good. Anyway, so I went in one of these 10K races. Lisa and I are running together, and we don't compete. It's kind of cool when we would do that. We should get back to running, honey. I think, you know, what's 20 years? Anyway, so, um, so we're in this 10K race, and it happens to be um, in Olympia at the time. We had done a few of them up and down around the sound. And this particular race had one of my close friends, a guy who I know never worked out, was never in shape, but is a guy who I spent a lot of time with. And we'd be out in the country and chasing animals and doing that kind of stuff. But, but anyway, this is a guy who, who was a close friend of mine. And because I'd run a few of these 10Ks and because of my temperament, I knew that I shall defeat this guy in this race. This point was, this was a fundraiser. We were race, race, running for raising money for something. And um, so we started out, and he was in the crowd ahead of me, and he was quite a ways once we got started. And I started thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to run faster if I'm going to beat this guy, and I am going to beat this guy. So I just upped my ante, and I'm charging along, and pretty soon I blow past him, and I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, 10K, I'm probably about, about a mile from the finish, but eight, eight and a half K somewhere in that and. And I'm starting to get pretty, pretty tired. I mean, I've kind of made a mistake, a tactical mistake. And, um, and this friend of mine went running past me. And I couldn't do any. I couldn't respond. Oh, it killed me. It still bothers me to this day. <laughs> I mean, I watched because this 10K race ended in, at, in the stadium at, at Olympia High School. So, you know, it's all these... People cheering and all this stuff, you know, for, they're, you're raising money for them. You know, they're cheering you on. But y- you come into the stadium and you do a whole lap to get to the finish. And I come into the stadium and he's already coming to the finish. And, I'm thinking, you know. and I thought, oh, and I wanted to beat him so bad. And he knew it. <laughs> and I came across and he's just kind of standing there talking. Hey, glad you made it. And I'm huffing and puffing. I mean, I'm doing bad. Now, I know exactly now when I look backwards what happened there. I didn't run my race. I ran his race. I ran, I let him get me off my game. If I had run my race, I would have beat the guy. If I would have done what I was capable of, I mean, uh, to this day I know I could have beat the guy. (laughs) The problem was I was running his race instead of my race is the most common issue about finding the will of God. Because we look around and we see what other people are doing, we see what other people are accomplishing, we see what other people are enjoying, and we think, why? No, that should be my race. And we start to try to run their race instead of our own. The problem is, when you get to the finish line, you haven't won, and you're huffing and puffing, and you don't have the joy of having completed. Because the Lord never called you to run their race. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. There was um, a time that our son Ben ran the marathon, and so Lisa and I took a Sunday to go watch him run the marathon, and I remember watching him. He did the same thing, kind of charging out. <laughs> long about mile 19, which is inconceivable to me, okay? 10K is six miles, 6.2. Ni- mile 19, 
he was not in a good place emotionally. He was pretty ragged. And other people had been giving him, you know, those little juice things or energy. <laughs> okay. Anyway, he was not doing well. And it's the same thing. I don't think he was running his race, although he was prepared. I, I heard this story about these two guys that are walking in the forest, and um, they, they come upon this bear, this big, ugly hungry-looking bear, and one of the two guys quickly sits down and starts putting on his tennis shoes, and the other guy says, you dummy, you can't outrun, outrun the bear, and the first guy says, I don't need to, I just need to outrun you. <laughs> now, there's an example of running your own race. <laughs> Lisa and I were with our family in Yellowstone Park, and all of the signs, they hand, when you come into the park, they give you a, this leaflet, don't feed the animals, and it's a picture of a guy getting gored by a buffalo or something, and they say, don't feed the bears, and and um, so, but the thing is, that if you're in Yellowstone and you see cars pull over, pull over. Because they see something, there's something worth seeing. And we were coming along one time, and not only were there a couple of cars, there was lines of cars pulled over, and a crowd, a crowd. I'm talking 150 people, 200 people, maybe more, out, and they were walking along the road. And here, about 75 yards off the road, is a grizzly bear. Now, the grizzly bear is walking along, and about 75 yards up this little valley ahead of it is a small herd of elk, about 10 or 12 elk. And the grizzly bear is slowly walking towards the elk. And now there are rangers everywhere saying, get back in your car, get back in your car. And Lisa, of course, is reasonable. Let's get back in the car. And I'm saying, no, honey, we don't have to. We're safe because we only have to outrun one little girl. (laughs) Maybe it was Lisa that said that. I can't remember it was me. (laughs) What does that have to do with running your own race? Nothing. It's just, you know. So we run the race around us. Sometimes people around us tell us what race we ought to run. The world, in fact, is pretty good at telling you, here's what you ought to do. Sometimes, as parents, we try to nudge our kids. We want to shape their character. We want to build who they are and train them. Um, but sometimes we cross this gray line and we don't do it intentionally, but instead of shaping their character, we start telling them the race they ought to run. That's a good thing to do until they get to the place where they ought to be apprehending that information from heaven directly. The world does a really good job. And here's the deal. When we're on our own, we're on somebody else's race. There's just something emotionally unsatisfying. There's something that says in our soul, you know what, this just really doesn't click for me. I'm, I, this isn't my cadence. I don't feel like I'm in the right direction. And at the same time, there's something else going on in our souls that's positive. Something else is in our souls that says, you know, there is something else in me that's different, that's called and destined to do something better and bigger, and the potential is in there. I don't know if you hear that voice. It's there. It's there when you're not really on your own race and you're on something else. There's both negative messages cir- circulating in there and some positive ones. You know, one of the primary reasons that we have a hard time knowing, Lord, what is your will for my life, is that we find ourselves that we're running the wrong race. We're on somebody else's race. I want to tell you some great news. There is a race specifically set out for you and for me. So today we're going to take a peek at Hebrews 12, verse 1, and I'll put it up if you don't have um, your Bible with you. I encourage you, by the way, to bring your Bibles to church because the Bible tells you you don't believe anything I tell you. You should check it out yourself. Well, it doesn't tell you not to believe anything I tell you. It says, make sure. <laughs> so you should become students of the Word and um, having your own Bible. And that's, it's, you know, it's good if it's in your phone. It's the Word of God. Just bring your Bible with you to church so that you have a chance. The Holy Spirit will be speaking to you about other things than just what we talk about. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I should tell you, um, this is the beginning of a chapter. The chapters were arbitrarily set up by the, by the people who translated. But when you see therefore, you know there's something that's gone on in the scriptures before then. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm not going to teach on that now, but I'm going to tell you it's a beautiful poetic chapter. And it describes um, a whole bunch of people who had come before uh, in, in, in the kingdom and who had done such great works of faith, great advancements in the kingdom in spite of huge obstacles. Anyway, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and, and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. For us. You know that you are a one-of-a-kind creation, every one of you, singular, unique, special, loved, one-of-a-kind, every single one of you. Every single one of you, special. And I want to talk about how, how you find out your own unique race. I want to talk about that for you. And, and I, I'm going to be repeating something to you today over and over again. This is a very important principle that I want you to, you're going to probably get tired of it. God's thumbprints on you are clues about his plans for you. We talk about being unique. How are you unique? Are those unique clues something specific about his plans for you? He has, you know, made you and me very specially. And this is, I'm going to take you to Psalm 139. This is absolutely one of my favorite passages in the whole word of God. Psalm 139, it's like, it's like a Swiss army toolbox of faith and hope. It's good when you're brokenhearted. It's a good scripture when you need to be encouraged, when you need to encourage someone else. Make note, Psalm 139, and, and, and you're with somebody and they're brokenhearted, just go there. It's a great one. Anyway, let's, let's just tuck in there for just a couple of verses, starting in verse 13, Psalm 139, verse 13, where it talks about the Lord crafting us. It says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Get the picture here. Knit. In my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. What does that marvelous mean? It means that things go on inside individual cells in your body and in organs in your body that just, you know, science is really good at dividing things and getting to smaller and smaller building blocks and figuring out how the mechanics of things work, kind of. But what ignites the fire? What is it that makes it all go? We can observe it and understand the mechanics of life, but to really understand it is marvelous. I, I, read, I was reading commentaries, and you know, one commentator made the comment that if, if, if we really understood how marvelously we operate, all of our intricacies, we probably would want to just hold still so that we just don't disrupt anything because our bodies are, are magical. They're so marvelous. They're powerful. They're, it's amazing what the human frame consists of. And it starts <laughs> in such tiny pieces. You know, all of this um, in the news about stem cell research and all of that, you know, it's great science um, if it can be morally approached. But um, the magic of it, and I don't mean that in a mystical sense. I mean it in a supernatural sense. The wisdom of God to construct something that from a certain cell type knows how to become either a bone or a liver or an eyeball or a brain or fill in the blank. 
<laughs> that's never going to be able to be put in a test tube. That's right. The fact that it can do those things and knows to do them and knows where to go, it's, it's, it's marvelous. Marvelous is way too light, but that's the word of God. That's the word, that's the word God used, so I'm going to go with that marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Another uh, translation says, curiously wrought. This woven together, here's what this suggests. This suggests the weaving together with fine threads of multiple and diverse colors. That's what that literally means. Fine threads. Okay, so divide down, like I said before, and get looking at what's going on in a stem cell at the beginning of the birth of a life, and it's fine threads of different colors and shapes and sizes being put together by the finger of God, woven. You have a different makeup than the person sitting next to you. And I don't just mean your DNA. I mean your temperament, your character, the things that the Lord... You know, I I like to characterize it like this, and I, I, I really believe that this is... It's way simplified so I can grasp it. But this is what happened in the heavenlies. The Lord looked and said, okay, it's time for us to knit Terry together in his mother's womb. Hi, Mom. <laughs> and, um, okay, well, let's, let's put in some of this. Let's put in some um, mischief, because, no, I don't even know if God did that. Now, let's put in, you know, this, these lists of different things, these interests, some a little bit of intellectual capability, a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of risk taker, a little bit of not very much singing. Let's put in, you know, not very much artistry. You know, I, I just this mix. And I believe that God looked and he said, okay, here's how I'm putting this one together, this son of mine together. And it was very specific. It wasn't random. It wasn't like he ran through the 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 the, the lab and just started knocking stuff off the shelf and they swept it together and dumped it in. I don't think it was random at all. I believe it was, it was intentional. It wasn't any more intentional with me than with you. It's just my opinion, but I believe it was intentional. Curiously wrought, wonderfully made. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. God's thumbprints on you are clues about his plans for you. Last week, we talked about the fact that, you know, there's, we just didn't go into this deeply, but we talked about the fact that at some point, we'll all stand before the Lord and give an account. Here's the deal. Here's the good news. You're not going to be asked to give an account for what you did on somebody else's race. He's not going to ask you to give an account and say, well, how did you do on your moonshots or your trigonometry tests or your, the stuff that you don't like to do? He's not going to ask me how I did with my lack of green thumb. He's going to ask me, what did you do with the gifts and the talents I gave you? What did you do with the race I set out for you to run, Terry? And that then becomes something reasonable, something I can look forward to because God's thumbprints on us are clues about his plans for us. There's um, um, a story here about this comparison. Um, We were saved in an Assemblies of God church. Lisa and I uh, first came to know the Lord there, and we loved our pastor. And uh, his name was Glenn Cole. Many of you probably remember Glenn Cole because he was, he was in a large church in Olympia. And, and um, the Lord called Glenn Cole to another church. So uh, the, 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 the deal was that we had to find a new pastor. 
And in an assembly as a church, it's typical that a pastor will come in and preach and do some things, and then the congregation votes. And I remember sitting, <laughs> sitting there. George Smith came, and um, he preached, and now it's time to vote. Wow. I was going to vote no. I didn't know George Smith. I had no way of knowing George Smith or anything. All I knew was he wasn't Glenn Cole. He wasn't my pastor. He wasn't the one who led me to the Lord. He wasn't the one who taught the pastor's class and taught me the word of God. He wasn't the one who baptized me. He wasn't the one who married me to my wife and all of those things that he did. He wasn't my pastor. So I'm voting no. (laughs) And I remember in those moments, the pencil had not gotten to the ballot quite yet and I had this confrontation going on in my soul. I was lovingly nudged by the Holy Spirit. Um, Hey, Terry. Yes, Lord. If you're going to compare George Smith to Glenn Cole, I'm going to compare you to Glenn Cole. Yes! (laughs) I couldn't vote yes quick enough. I mean, at that point, it wasn't my role in, the, in, in that church's government structure. It wasn't my role to go and research this guy. My role was to, to listen to the Spirit. My role wasn't to pick the pastor. My role was to listen with obedience to the Spirit. And then if I was supposed to vote, I was supposed to vote. And that's how they did it there. And I, I have to say, you know, I believe the Lord brought that next pastor there. I wanted to hold this guy to somebody else's race, and I learned a lesson right there. No, don't do that. Now, it didn't translate to the track that day, but um, I voted for George Smith. I'm so glad that the Lord taught me, don't be comparing, because I'm going to hold you to the same kind of comparisons that you hold other people to. It's hard not to do that. You have to keep on top of this topic, because it's hard not to do that. Jesus told us about how he's going to going to be looking at our, our use of the gifts he gave us. He, he told a, a, um, a parable about the talents. And I'm going to way compress it here so that we don't spend over amount of time on it. But basically, he talked about a master who was leaving a city and he gave five talents to one of his servants, two, two to another and one to another. And when he came back, the one with five had increased it by five more. And when he came back, the one with two had increased it by two more. And the other one hadn't. He'd buried it. And the, the story basically demonstrates that Jesus said, you know what? You were given talents. It's expected of you. It's expected of you that you will use your talents to increase the kingdom. It's expected of you. Not, not to do somebody else's or to be somebody else's. It's just not. I am... Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about all that. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's all real good, Terry. How do I pin down what are my specific talents? How am I going to do that? Because who knows what your talents are? You know, I think, um, you know what? I'm preoccupied for a minute. I just want to pray. I'm sorry to interrupt the message here, but I I really am just preoccupied. I want to pray for the nation of Japan one more time. Can we do that? Lord, um, I just, not knowing why you're stirring on this issue, I just pray that there might be peace in that place. 
the peace that goes beyond understanding, but I ask for a supernatural in- intervention of your spirit there, Lord. Let your power reign. And although we've named some specific names in proxy, we ask God for a sweeping of your spirit upon that land with power and majesty and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, Amen. Okay. So, finding out what we do about those talents, the, the parable of the talents. Here's the thing. I've heard that message lots of times, and I've read it lots of times, and sometimes I've responded. I'm not too sure that we always take this all that seriously. Um, sometimes, you know, I look around at my own self, and I think, I mean, I've spent a lot more time, you know, you can fill in the blank here, like Facebook, gaming, um, surfing the Internet, watching football games. I spend a lot more time doing those kinds of things than I ever even give any attention at all to thinking about, Lord, okay, how should I be leveraging the talents that you gave me? I, here's the thing, though. I don't want to stand one day before the Lord and when he says, how did you do with the talents I gave you? I didn't want to say, well, Lord, I was busy, or, well, my sister, she is way better at that than me, or, oh, I was afraid, so I buried the talent. I don't want to give those kinds of answers. Now, that last, I'm, I'm nudging you a little bit. I realize it, and I'm challenging you some, and I hope that's not overly uncomfortable, but I, I want you to tell you that there's something really good on the other side of this challenge, and that is that the Lord's thumbprints upon you are terrific. There are things that are in you that were put there by God. There are things that are in you that when they're released in their intended way and in their, in their intended places, they will be majestic and powerful because the Lord doesn't do things kind of halfway. He didn't give you, he didn't shortchange you with the gifts he gave you. The gifts he gave you are the full-on gift. You need to find them and release them. Because the clearer you are about God's thumbprints on you, the easier it is to determine his plans for your life. Well, how do you find those thumbprints? You know, I mean, how do you do that? I, I think a couple of things. You have friends who will occasionally say, well, you know, you're pretty good at that. Or they'll say, well, that was really nice that you did, or I loved your heart on this. First off, don't, don't deny those things because those things could be thumbprints. Those could be something the Lord's telling you about your abilities and your temperaments. I'm going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. Um, the, the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. A couple of the, the letters he wrote in there were to a guy named Timothy. And he was trying to help Timothy really get a grasp for his giftings. He was trying to help Timothy understand how to be a leader in the kingdom. And I want to kind of dip into First and Second Timothy in a couple of places here with you because God's thumbprints on you are clues about his plans for you. First Timothy chapter 4. If you can find the, the T's in the New Testament, they're all together. Okay, so if you find any book in the New Testament that starts with a T, you're right there. These are only a couple of pages, so sorry to send you to such an arcane place, but you, know, you need to learn where the T's are, right? But I'll help you out in the meantime. First Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Now, you may not have had some of you, um, elders or leaders in the body, lay hands on you and, 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 and declare to you what kind of gifts the Lord has put in you or what, something prophetic. You may not have had that. Some of you may have had that done. And I'm not going to explore that too much today. That's for another time. But, but you've had the equivalent. You've had people around you say, you know, you have a real gift of hospitality. Or you, have real, you really move in wisdom. Or you really move in compassion and mercy. And there is something to be said. You hear these kinds of things from people, and it's a clue. 
It's a clue to you about the thumbprints. It's a clue to you about the things that were going on up in the throne room when you were being woven together with diverse colored threads. What kind of the things the Lord was putting into you? It's a clue. It's a thumbprint. I think typically when people compliment you, what we want to do is we want to deny it because we don't want to come across as prideful. We don't want to make, make people, yeah, I know, I'm good at that. We don't want to do that. And I get that. I do that sometimes myself. It's really not good to do that because there is a difference between pride and false humility. <laughs> okay? It's possible to acknowledge the gift without becoming prideful. And there's a balance to be struck there. And the thing is that it's, it's important to acknowledge the gift because when you deny the gift, you're also somehow saying, I don't want to leverage the things that the Lord put in me from the foundation of time. I don't want to actually take advantage of the gifts that, that the Lord has given me. That's not humility. It's dishonesty. It's, it's better to be honest, say, you know what, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. And just take the compliment and then say, Lord, I've heard that a couple of times. Is this one of my thumbprints? Is this something that, you, that you've done intentionally with me? Paul's saying, don't neglect those skills. You shouldn't neglect them because they're probably God's thumbprint upon you. If God's thumbprints on you are clues about his plans for you. I, um, I have this story that really impacted me at about age 10 or 11. I don't know if you've heard this one, Mom. <laughs> I was grown, I, I grew up in Spokane, and uh, um, I, I don't remember which friend, but a bunch of us, th- th- his mother took us to this lake somewhere, and it had a big swim area, and it was, a, you know, it was one of those places where you pay to go to the swim area, and, and there was a beach, and it was sunny and hot, if you can believe there's a place anywhere on the planet that's sunny and hot. There actually was, I remember it, and it doesn't feel like it today, but... So a bunch of boys, about 10 or 11, swimming and playing on this beach. Well, there were some girls there. And, you know, I thought these were grown women. They were probably like 15 or something, you know. <laughs> and they weren't little girls anymore. And here's a handful of boys, 10 or 11, who have noticed these girls. And um, we started flirting with these girls. And the flirting... <laughs> I'm not proud about the kind of flirting because I think the, the boys were saying things that we shouldn't have ought to have said. And we tired of it and we were over doing our own thing and I could see the girls talking about us. Now, <laughs> these were like women, right, to us, you know, 11. And one of them got up, the most beautiful one, and she got up and she started walking towards us. <laughs> And she was looking at me like laser eyes. I mean, it was, it was clear she was coming to talk to me. And I was shrinking into the sand <laughs> because I knew, I knew I had been on the wrong side of a line and I knew I was in for it. And she very nicely says, come here, I want to talk to you for a minute. Now, I couldn't say no because then the guys I was with would think I was chicken. But if I said yes, I was going to get it. Well, I went, with, I went with the yes. I went aside with her, and she said, you know, I want to say two things to you. If you talk to girls like this, they won't like you. What a terrific, nice thing she did for me. Second thing she said to me was, these other guys are watching you, and they do what you do. You're the leader. You're teaching them this. You ought to think about that. 
She was nice. She smiled and she walked away. Okay. I, I was, as you can tell, tattooed by that experience. It, it, it didn't fix me, but it became an interesting component that to this day, I think about things I'm going to say and how it might make other people think about me. Not that I have this fear of man, but this was loving that she said to me. And she said something to me about the fact that I was the leader. True also. She was talking about some thumbprint on me. There was something there of leadership in me, even at that age. I mean, when I got to be on the school patrol, I couldn't just be a patrolman. I had to be the captain. (laughs) I got the blue badge. I can show you. Proud of that badge. (laughs) There were people who had a red badge. They were lieutenants. They did what captains told them to do. This girl on the beach told me something about a thumbprint of the Lord that was on me. Here's something that's even better. Here's a, 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 what you and I would consider a girl, 15, 14, 16 something, that somebody had taught her about her thumbprint. You have the ability when somebody's doing something wrong to lead them in a good way rather than to just leash out, lash out, lash out, leash out. I, I love the picture because this complete stranger impact about I don't even know who she is never saw her again have no idea who she is but I know the Lord used her temperament and her gift to shape his son because she leaned into her thumbprint there is there is there is um, there's no end to the number of experiences like that that you and I face in our lives first Timothy 415 the next verse says be diligent in these matters give yourself wholly to them and then it goes on to say that everyone may see your progress. We'll come to that later. Be diligent in these matters. Give, whole, give yourself wholly to them. There is a direct correlation between using your gifts and being used by God and then finding his will for your life. Second Timothy um, um, is the next book over in, in chapter 1, verse 6, says this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. How do you fan the flame? Once you've figured this out, how do you, you do two things. Know your gifts and leverage opportunities to use them. And I'm going to parcel those out and we're going to talk about those two one at a time. First, number one, know your gifts. Um, If you are interested in knowing, seeing some things about the Lord's thumbprint on you, I bet you most of you already have some ideas about that. But if you want some help, there's some pretty fun things to do. Now, I, I, um, uh, you need to be careful with this next one. I'm going to give you a, a, a web address. You need to be careful anytime you go on the internet, right? Okay, I'm not endorsing the internet. I'm not even endorsing the site I'm going to suggest is a possibility for you. I'm endorsing the spiritual gifts test on a site, okay? I've taken it, I've studied it, I've looked at it. It seems to be scriptural. It seems fine. It's fun and safe. So I'm going to suggest to you, and this one's kind of fun. It took me less than five minutes to take the spiritual gifts test. I did it with another guinea pig. Thank you, honey. Took her less than five minutes. And um, so I will tell you this. This is not the site that, this is our website, right? CrossroadsFoursquare.net. In case you haven't known, we, the church has a new website. Well, it's been new for a couple of months. But on the website, if you are willing to take the spiritual gifts test and invest five minutes, maybe 10, including going here and then going to the next one and then taking the test and then looking at the results, 10 minutes will do the whole thing. If you go to our website and you find where it says messages, 
you know, which is basically our weekend sermons, and you go to the message page, there will be a link there. And you click that link, and it will open up another window on your browser, and there will be the, the spiritual gifts test. It'll take you less than five minutes. How long did it take you, honey? Less than five minutes. I had a girl. So um, less than five minutes. Okay, I took the spiritual gifts test. Now, it's just a bunch of questions that, you know, there's no wrong answer. And, and um, if you, um, you know, I strongly agree, I strongly disagree. There's like four answers. And you, you go through it, and you just give it your first impulsive answer, and out comes your results. It calculates for you. Now, by the way, this is not definitive, but it's helpful. So if you take the test, then take a minute, take some time, and ask some people, hey, this is what the test said about me. Do you agree? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, or not. Here's what it said about me, okay? Now listen, this is not to brag. These are all good. There's, I, think, I think it breaks it down into 23, 24 categories, something like that. And it's good to be any of them, okay? The curious is, what's the complementary? What's the mix for you? For me, um, the high-ranking ones were teacher, leadership, wisdom, pastor, hospital. Aren't those the kind of things you would want your, your pastor to have those kind of things? I mean, I just answered the questions, and I think this thing kind of pinned me down pretty, pretty good. It pinned me down very well. Lisa took the same test, and it pinned her down very well. So I've done two tests. It's fun. It's fun to take. There, is, um, you know, there are lots of them out there. In fact, if you Google the phrase spiritual gifts test, you probably see lots of them. Be careful. I haven't looked at any of the other ones. I don't know what's on them, and I don't know what kind of trail they will lead you down. But there are tests out there that will help you assess it. Another thing you can do is... Uh, is Ask your friends or listen to them when they're already talking to you. You can find the Lord's thumbprints on, on you. You'll find them. By the way, it gives you a percentage of tests. Music, let's see, you know, teacher, 89%. Music, 22%. Artistry, 0%. Okay? <laughs> okay. Like I said before, I'm so grateful for a worship leader and team. Thank you to all of you. So, okay, my, my, my hunch, though, is this, that most of you aren't going to do this. Gee, that's negative. I shouldn't be talking that way. I'm trying to motivate you and say, look, you know, here's the thing about guys in particular. We get sick, and we aren't that good of patience, and we might lay around and whine a little bit and, you know, and our wife or our mother or someone will say, why don't you go to the doctor? No, I don't need to go to the doctor. They're just going to tell me I'm sick and that I hurt. You know, they're going to do all that. <clears throat> but here's this logical thing, and I can't believe I'm going to sign on for this. If you won't go check it out, you kind of forfeit the right to complain. Not me, of course, honey. I mean, this is for somebody else. <laughs> Is it okay to be frustrated in life? I mean, how can you avoid it? Frustration comes. Is it okay to be frustrated and do nothing about it? No, that's not okay. So don't complain that you can't find the Lord's will. Take the five-minute test, okay? Go, go and take the five-minute test and then confirm with a few people around you. Okay, I'm going to move along. Leverage, number two, leverage the opportunities to use your gifts. After you've really started to identify your thumbprints, pray this way, Lord, would you open some opportunities and doors for me to use these gifts? One of the best ways that you can do that is to get involved in serving in the, bur in the body of Christ in your church. Now, I, I didn't intend to teach this as a recruitment message. I'm just telling you the truth. One of the best ways you can sh shape and develop your gift is to serve in your church. Now, this is a, ch this is a growing church. 
This is a growing church full of really quality people. I've told so many people, and this is not marketing on my part, I've told so many people, this is the friendliest church I've ever been in in my life. I've been in lots. I mean, I've served consistently in one place, but I've visited lots of places. And there is a, it isn't that we just greet people at the door. It's that the people here are truly friendly. They're really glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. They're really, there's something about this place. Our thumbprint needs to penetrate into our community. Something about the hope you carry, the peace you carry, the truth, the life you carry, not the Bible thumping. We don't do that. But something about what you have is so wanted and needed in this community. It's our thumbprint. But there are lots of things going on here and will be going on here that need you to be involved. So if the Lord says to you, you know, you're really good at spreadsheets and making balance, things balance and keeping things in order, maybe you have a really good capability to help people with their budgets. And maybe you need to come and say, hey, I want to let you know that I'll lead a class in budgeting. Or maybe you're like completely good with computers. And so you want to teach parents how to know more about what's going on in the computer world so that they can properly superintend their children's use. Or maybe you have the gifts of hospitality. And you just need to occasionally come in here and open up the building and cook your donuts and your brownies, especially the corners, and bring it in and have a time of fellowship just so people can be together with hospitality, maybe a brief devotion. Or maybe you don't want to do a devotion because you're too shy, but someone else will come with you and they'll do a devotion. You know, maybe you just love to have your hands on children. You just love to nurture them. Maybe, maybe you have insight and vision and leadership and you should be helping us figure out where to drive this ship. Maybe you need to be serving. I don't know. The point is this. The thumbprints of the Lord that are present in this place will take us somewhere. That's good. And it isn't going to be me motivating you. It isn't going to be me asking for your checkbook so much as it's going to be us just leaning into the very thumbprints that were the Lord's plans from the very beginning of time. Yeah. I, um, I could give you lots of examples of where I've seen that happening, but um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you this, though. Um, people present who I've spent time with have come in the last short season. There is vision present to uh, make sure that kids in our community have school supplies. There's vision present to make sure that we pray over children and parents. There's vision present to, to do things for kids, a lot of stuff about kids. In, in the summertime, special things that are going on. We have, um, we have ministries here, people who love to pray. And I'm telling you, there are people out there that need to be prayed over. They need something of hope. There's, there's creativity that's present. There's, there's, there's a growing, burgeoning thing about worship here. I even heard something about a country music concert. Is that really what I heard going on? That sounds terrific to me. I think I'm, I'll be there. There are gifts present that will bring hope and life, okay? So lean into those things because you don't want to have your gifts lay dor- dormant. You just don't want to do that. Um, I, I'm going to close here because I've gone long. I just want you to hear this. The same thing from that same parable Jesus said, that there will come a day and when the Lord looks at you, you want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, today, um, we, we have really spent our time trying to become practical about something that really had its roots in the supernatural. 
imagining in our own little intellects what you were up to when you knit us together, when you curiously wrought us within our mother's womb. It's amazing, God. And we think that this life is ours to live, and you certainly gave us free will. It's with that will, God, that we choose to love you and pursue you. I ask, Lord, for there to be something of fresh awakening, something of opening of eyes and an opening of ears that in our days, in the next moments, days, weeks, Lord, that the people that have heard this message would be sensitized to these things we're talking about, God, knowing your thumbprints upon our life. So Lord, let things that are intellectual become spiritual. Let the things that we try to figure out with our mind become life in our soul. Let the things, God, that are resonant within us, not because we can be puffed up about it, but because you put them there from the foundation of time and you had good reasons to do it, let them begin to, 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 to strengthen, to gr- gain root, and to grow. God, I want to pray. Um, I want to pray for the good news, the good news. And that is that people here, people in a nation ravaged by water and earthquake, people here who are ravaged by brokenheartedness or by doctor's commentary might know that there is a solid place to stand, and that's your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that uh, right now your, your spirit would speak to hearts. Lord, if there's any among us that don't know you, that you would lead them, God. Church, look up at me for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to stand here. Would you stand to your feet because we're going to sing and go out the door. But most of you, I think probably vast majority of you already know about Jesus. You know who he is and you know he is your salvation. But if there's anybody here who doesn't, I say this to you. Make a decision to open your heart to the Lord. I just say that to you and I'll let the Holy Spirit do the rest and then talk to some one of the leaders and say, pray with me about this thing about Jesus. We just want to do that with you. Amen? Amen? God bless you. There.